Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleadcom that both examines and inspires a certain approach towards life that is based both on personal philosophies and on the writings of people such as Emerson and Thoreau. Please send any feedback to info at naturesleadcom or drop a comment onto the blog at naturesleadcom or even onto iTunes or wherever you get the feed from. And if you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to any prior episodes to get a better feel for things. This is Series 1, Episode 16, Title, Defending Against Information. All right, here we are again. In this episode, I explain why I think allowing too much free-flowing information in our lives can be hazardous, and I talk about a famous quote from Wordsworth. So we'll get to that in a second, but first, today's random window. The other day, I saw a beautiful woman riding a horse. She was sitting up high, very elegant, riding past some large, magnificent trees. And just as I was about to conjure some nice feeling about seeing something so out of the ordinary in my typical day, I see as I pass that she's talking rapidly on a cell phone. That sight was crushing. We can't even enjoy a horse ride along a remote path of trees these days without infusing the modern world. On to the main topic, defending against information. This sounds like an impossible stance to take especially in this day and age of information explosion. We are at a rare moment in history where information on just about anything in the world can be found and consumed in merely seconds. I am so very happy I lived before the internet boom, back when information was a rare commodity. If someone wanted to know something, and nobody around knew the answer, and it wasn't an encyclopedia, that was about it. The interest faded, the importance of the answer dismissed. Rarely would someone go to the library to try to discover the answer, for rarely was the information that vital. Now, the question isn't even posed to another person. The web is the 24-7 oracle with all the answers. So I'm happy to have bridged those two worlds in my lifespan so that I can both feel the difference in information flow and see the difference in how we feel about information. But let's step back for a moment and review the history of this stuff we call information. When looking at the long path of communication of information between humans, we've basically gone from grunts to Google. But I'll get a little more specific than that. Before the printing press, oral communication was the Internet of the Times. And when limited to a word-of-mouth information network, That information just isn't as all-consuming for people in the day-to-day progression of life. Certainly there are exceptions, such as when there's a war going on and where that war is headed, or when governments make grand changes and taxes are affected. But generally, people's days were consumed by the local community, by friends, family, and neighbors. People were more intrinsically a vital piece of the local culture a necessary gear in the inner workings of the human and natural environments. However, then came the printing press, then eventually newspapers, and then, with a rush, radio. Radio, to me, was the biggest change, the biggest challenge to local communities, and actually, I should say, a challenge to the nature of the local community. A local community is something that dates back deep into human history, 
and animals have been doing this for as long as we know. A pride of lions, a gaggle of geese, I chose geese because it's fun to say gaggle, a swarm of bees. All across nature, we see communities develop in which the individual benefits directly from and contributes directly to the group, the gathering, the community. So with radio and later television, people were focusing on larger national news and information pushed out through the large cities. This was information that was geared towards the average citizen, and in that vanilla service, local differences and subtleties were washed out. People didn't need to be focusing their attention so much on the national level, but advanced communication flows won out over the innocence of community news and events. Another problem is that the best writers and minds in media often go to the big media outlets, so the quality of televised and radio programming is going to always be of much higher quality. The problem with all this is that the give and take is out of balance. We watch so much that we have no input into or influence over. It is in our contribution to the community where we now lack. A community is only healthy when an equilibrium is created between givers and receivers, when everyone is contributing something so that all may benefit. What do you do to contribute to your community? If you're like me and work for some corporation in another area of town, you probably don't do that much. I know I don't. Now, I'm not talking about any area specifically like volunteer time or civil service, and I'm also not suggesting action on anyone's part. I'm just getting us to think about it, to realize and understand it. I think seeing this cloudy veil that's pulled around us when we're home, this veil that makes us believe that it's the world out there that is of value, that is of significance, this veil that diminishes the weight of our local community down to anecdotal neighborhood chats, I think seeing this veil clearly may help us to make slightly different decisions in our life down the road. I know I've been trying to somewhat change a few of my habits. Don't forget what I said in my first episode about how I'm not a saint preaching here. With respect to defending against information, I'm horrible at it. I watch too much trivial television. That is a portion of my life that is not vital to who I am. I use it to relax at times, but there are better, more productive ways of relaxing. There are ways of relaxing that involve others more proactively. That's not to say that television is bad. I just need to watch what I watch, just like we need to watch what we eat. Wordsworth has a famous line from his poem entitled London. He states that in every sound from people in London, he hears, quote, mind-forged manacles, unquote. This is a very famous quote from Romantic literature. It's so short, but so meaningful. He's commenting, in part, on the chains people are bound by in the city, chains that are created by the mind. In his age, people were flocking to the cities, and cities weren't built to handle the invasion yet. Communities like those that Wordsworth lived in were losing emphasis. The Romantics saw this problem of so much focus moving to the cities of the world. Let's look at a simple story that maybe can accentuate some of these thoughts a bit. Imagine a tribe of natives in the darkest jungles of Peru. There are two or three dozen in the community, and they're completely self-sufficient. 
They are generally happy and of good spirits. They live an angelic, ideal existence. One fine day, one of the natives decides to get a television. I know what you're thinking the catch is, that no channels provide programming geared towards natives. But let's look past that, shall we? So let's give them a nice one, say a high-def 50-inch plasma. After the cost of all the connected extension cords, the TV price is trivial anyway. He places that thing in his hut and begins to watch it a couple hours every evening. He's glued. He sees what other tribes are doing these days. He sees, each day on the news, the most intriguing tragedies cherry-picked from the hundreds of native communities. Stories much more riveting and incredible than anything he ever witnesses in his own tribe. Soon, he realizes that he should go out there and get involved with the larger world. He begins to work by day in the biggest tribal village and comes home at night and watches television shows, in high def, produced by the biggest tribal village that idealize life in small villages like the one outside his front door, or front blanket, whatever the case may be. Then along comes one of his local villagers. I'll call him a villager because I like to say the word villager. Unfortunately, it wasn't a gaggle of villagers, just one guy, but I digress. So he comes into the hut and says, Jeff. That's right, I named him Jeff. He's a progressive native. He's got a big screen TV after all. So he says, Jeff. You've got to come out and hear about the young one's story of how she foiled a stocking panther by throwing her bread to one side and diving into the river. And Jeff laughs and says, I'm watching a story right now about a young girl who builds a second female panther out of twigs and moss and escapes with the panther's scalp. Nothing in the local community can compare anymore to the world that Jeff is now attached to. That's a true story. I know, hard to believe. No, now, jokes aside, when you think of that tight, interactive community, the information flow from distant lands can be seen as demonic, as acidic to this natural, symbiotic gathering of life. Jeff becomes attached to a world mostly untouchable. He has the most influence and direct benefit within his own local world, the world he can reach out and touch and feel and breathe. But we all fall to this trap. At least I know I do. How can we not? The world is beautiful. Its people are beautiful. Its landscape and animals are beautiful. And all of this, all of the opportunity vicariously to live in other lands, to live other people's lives, to live through moments never dreamt possible, all of this is at the comfortable edge of our reach with the click of a TV remote control or the click of a mouse. What a glorious and horrific time to live. I can only protect. I can only defend. For radio and TV further takes us away from our own significance. We become endpoints of the flow of information. We are poured into like vats of waste, for the information is dead once we receive it. Their job is done. They're already moving on to the next great idea, the next great story. What about a story on a national radio program of a grammar school burning down in Greece? And now the community was getting together to rebuild it. This is anecdotal, unless you live in Greece, and you forget about it soon enough. 
moved for the moment, but lost with time. But imagine if that story were about a school in your community. You might even contribute your time or money to the rebuilding. You get involved to improve the world. But I'm sure things like that happen in my community very often that I never hear about. If I don't happen to watch the local news that night or read the local paper, which I rarely do, I would only hear about it by chance at the local market at the register. Where else do I run into locals? And it would have to be that day, since so rarely do stories carry over to the next day. Many people keep up with local events, but most in the megalopolises of the world are detached. The internet is a wonderful thing. I love it. But sugar is great, and chocolate's the best. And even though I'm sure they must somehow be good for me, I must defend. I must defend. And so, too, with the stream of bits and bites and colorful lights that we empower with the press of our fingers, we need to, at some threshold, defend against information. That brings us to a close. So until next time, I wish you well, and don't forget to follow Nature's Lead.